Hey, what's up, everybody? Once again, this episode of OTR Podcast is brought to you by Athletic CBD, the place for all your CBD needs. They got pain creams, tinctures, even bath bombs, and our listeners get 15% off their total purchase when they use the promo code RISE. That's R-I-S-E, RISE. Head over to their website, www.athleticbd.com, and use that promo code RISE. Shameless plug. Bobby, DJ 808, will be DJing at Lux Friday, June 28th. And Saturday, June 29th, he will be at his very own Saturday Social House at Shenanigans. And then back to Shenanigans for all the karaoke fiends out there the next day, which is Sunday, June 30th. Now, Boom Boom Brady will be performing in the Mariposa Music Series, August 24th in downtown Fresno at the Mariposa Plaza. Presented by 104.1. Now, today's guest is a big homie of mine, a, a mentor for a lot of things that are going on with me and Bobby. He's the curator of many things like Fulton Street Party, as well as the Valley's very own Grizzly Fest. Welcome to the show, uh, Aaron Hekamian. So we were about to talk about it. So when you started making music, because people don't know that you started making beats like early before 2000, like, yeah, so I started, show your I started age. DJing, I started DJing my junior year, but I got into it my sophomore year. It was a crazy story, but, um, I saw Mixmaster Mike on MTV DJing for the Beastie Boys. And I was like, that's tight. Before that, though, when I was a kid, I played piano I played guitar lessons. I was in the choir. I played sports. My mom made my mom made me do all these things. She was like, "You have to do this if you're gonna do that." I'm like, "All right." Like one step nice. next. Yeah, nice. my mom like my mom was really pushing, and my brother, you know, who's older than me, he did it as well. Mm-hmm. So he played piano. And he played guitar. He stole the guitar from me when I started guitar lessons and started playing on his own. He was in high school and probably doing all kinds of fun stuff. Started caring about bitches. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So he had long hair. He looked like, uh, like Rico Suave, Jeez. just straight playing, playing for the ladies. Yeah, long hair. <laughs> like he looked like he's from like a, a an island, all tanned and good in good shape. And he loved the guitar. So, anyways, but I did that, and then a guy on my basketball team in high school had turntables. But then I saw Mixmaster Mike, and I remember, uh, and his older brother and my brother were pretty much like best friends growing up, so they're the same age. This guy was a year older than me. His name was uh, Caleb Adams. And then he one day was like, hey, come over to my house if you want to, like, check out some tables. And I was like, I had no clue. You know, you see him, but you have no clue. And then he it's was It's funny like, that we've never had this conversation because my, I'm going to let you finish, but my intro to music is almost identical. Right. It's wild. I mean, I think, so. it, I think a lot of people's are, but um, okay. in the sense where somebody introduces it to you and it's like, oh, well, you're in this world of, like, what the hell is this? Exactly. So my, uh, my boy 1210, that was his DJ name. Um, he 
in his room. He had the two tables, and he was like this real clean freak. So everything was like in place. Everything was like proper. You know, like when he took the record, he placed it and then he took it right back out, made sure he put it, in it the, the right way. Yeah, everything was like to the T. So after basketball practice or on the weekends, I'd go to his place. So that was kind of like dope. You know, like yeah. I wanted turntables. So long story short, I played football and basketball. And football I gained hella weight. I gained like forty pounds one year. I never played, and I started. And like the coach was like, "You're gonna be this dude," and I was just fucking lifting weights all day and eating everything I could think of. And then I got pretty wacky basketball because I couldn't move, because shoot the hell out of the ball and dribble and everything else, but I couldn't. And I was one of the better players in, in my class uh, growing up as a kid. So basketball I was like, ah, I'm not gonna play basketball anymore. My mom was like, if you don't play basketball. Da, 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 you have to get a job. So, okay, so I got a job at Taco Bell. I want to save money for turntables. Um, my mom goes, okay, here, I'll give you a deal. If you play basketball your junior year, if you play through the whole season, I'll buy one of your turntables because I want a technique. How much oh, were yeah. they at the time? They were four, 440. It was, he had new marks, and his whole complaint when he had his, he had two new marks and a Gemini mixer. No, was it a new mark mixer or Gemini? Something like that. He always complained about... You gotta have techniques. Techniques they don't, you know, they, they doesn't skip as much when you're scratching. The mixer, the cut fader on the Vestax, and all this. Dang. So you start doing your homework. You're like, okay, techniques, techniques. All right. So I wanted techniques. Um, I worked. I played basketball. Had a, had like a part time job. I didn't have to have any bills. I mean, you're you're in high school, so I saved my money. I got the other turntable, and then my brother actually helped me get the like Gemini. Uh, it was like a small, uh, it was like a scratch Gemini mixer. It was uh, okay. a two channel. Six, yeah, it was two yeah. channels. Had like a kill switch on them. I remember it was green. It looked completely disgusting, but it was tight. <laughs> right. So, like, yeah, I remember disgusting. that was my first set and I got it my junior year. And um, where did you uh, like, where was the first spot that you played at? My high school. High like, school. Three okay. weeks after I got my tables, I did it like. So here's how it happened. There was a guy in my class. I wanted to buy his set. He's like, oh, I heard you want to buy turntables. You can buy mine. And I was like, all right, what do you have? He had one technique and one, um, it wasn't a new mark. It was Stanton, I think, or some other like off-brand. Okay. And he had the really long 20-inch, like, because he would DJ Punjabi parties. And then I'm like, I just want your 1200 I'll buy the whole thing, but I'm going to buy it for this much. I just want your 1200 He's like, what do you mean you don't want I was like, that's just whack. I don't want it. <laughs> and I'm and I was kind of cocky, and he wasn't like a scratch DJ or like a hip hop DJ. He was like Shock he DJed track. weddings and like um, Punjabi stuff, okay. song to song, just yeah, yeah. song to song, entertaining, he was just, talking, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just move the fader one side to the other, and then move, yeah, yeah. Why not? So he calls me one day, like and he goes, "I'm not gonna sell my 1200." I'm like, "Okay, cool." I was like, "Any reason?" He lived not too far from where I stayed. He's like, oh, I just don't want to sell. It. I don't want to sell it anymore. Like, I want to start scratching. All right, cool. So, so you got in his head. Whatever. <laughs> so it's, that, that was like maybe three months before I actually could get mine because I was still saving up to get it. I, I got mine. I ordered it like in March through what's that magazine down? There was a magazine you could buy uh, DJ equipment with back in the day. They were based in LA or Orange County. Pro Sound and Stage was that was it? Pro yeah, that's one of them. Is that one of them? Yeah, yeah. So there's like then, AMS. There's Pro Sound and Stage. That Pro Sound and Stage was like the company back then, and I remember 
because my yeah, boy, you get the whole catalog in my the mail. My boy 1210 had the catalog. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I was like, oh my God, this is the world's greatest like magazine ever. <laughs> but it took literally because techniques were so on demand then, it took like eight weeks for me to get oh, my setup. Shit. This is the only thing I remember. Back, the back That's order. as far as back as I go. I remember like people would be, how long did you have to wait for those? And I'd be like, what do you mean wait? Like save up the money? Like no fool, you can't even get those right now. They're on back order. Right. Damn. Well, and this was 98 going into 90. Yeah, this was 98 going into 99 cross over that time period. And obviously DJing kind of had picked up with mm. the DMCs and ITFs and everything becoming more popular. But it came in, but I remember every Friday I'd come home from school, and I was like, are they here? They're not here. And I was, like, devastated. I was like, oh, my God, life sucks. You didn't have tracking like, back then either. No, so yeah. no. <laughs> I'd come home, and it's like, they're not there. They came. It was, like, for last week of March, first week of April, I remember. And I just, like, connected my stuff up and literally locked myself in a room, like, all day, every day. I'd come home straight from, from school. If I didn't have to work, I'd go straight in there, and just that was it. Three weeks nice. into it. I asked the um, activities people on campus, I want to, like, like I want to just spin. So I remember she's like, all right, cool, whatever. I was like, yeah, I'll make sure it's all radio edit and stuff. And I had been collecting records prior, though. Okay. I'd go to the record. I'd go down to um, um, Tower Records. Tower. Here, had them. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you guys know Rick uh, Rick Baines from Vinny's. Um, the back bar. Rick, he's, he's the bartender. He's been Tall there. Tall guy. Tall guy, Indian Real, uh, guy. Salt pepper. He used to manage or was one of the managers at Tower, and he used to save, like, scratch records for me when they used to come in because every time oh, I'd go, cool. like, we try to dig, and um, he'd always save records for me. And um, so he was he was super cool. And then J&C House of Records on the west side had records. That was the first place I actually went to with my boy Caleb. Car broke down on the west side on Martin Luther King, and I forget what the cross street is right there from J.C. House Records. And I remember we were just stuck out there, like, Car broke down on the west side. I'm trying to get some records, but it was tight. <laughs> so when you say scratch records, was it just it was like scratch samples that that they just had a like shit super, ton of them? Super Duck Breaks, like okay. DJ Babu had Super Duck Breaks. That was his. Yeah, series. yeah, yeah, yeah. Cuber yeah, yeah. and all the scratch pickles had like their array of you know toasted marshmallow breaks and Got yada it. yada yada. So my boy twelve ten, he has a couple of DMC videos, and then I remember the scratch pickles. He had a video where they did like they're like tutorials and like comedy like videos. It was like the funniest thing ever. <laughs> and they're still trying to do them again. They just, I think they're starting to bring it back now. But um, at what point for those you, you would see the record and you're like, okay, I need that record right there. Like the marshmallow. Oh, you would see def- them have it. Yeah, like you would oh, see them okay. scratching on yeah, it. You're like, what course. record so, is that? And yeah. like, okay, that's a that's a marshmallow. You, you got to find it, and then you you know, you just do your homework and you figure it out and. Yeah. You had to be and a student for sure. Yeah, and then there wasn't a lot of DJs in Fresno back then, to be honest. There wasn't um, scratch DJs. I mean, D- Don D, he's still around. Mm-hmm. He's still DJing and killing it. But he was like an OG DJ for like the B-Boy era. And like he would scratch, and he was like the traditional scratching DJ. Like his chirps were just amazing. Nice. Because that was the scratch like of the late 80s, early 90s, right? He would DJ Mark Cutts. Um, if I'm not mistaken, he might have just passed away. Rest in peace. If he did, I think he had passed away. I didn't. I've never. I met him once, scratching wise, but I never like knew him. But there was a few few guys that DJed, and um, scratching though. Scratch, yeah, scratch yeah, yeah. wise. That's good. like for me, it was all about scratching more so than like DJ. I mean, I did all the parties. I, I mean, after I got it, I, I mean, I DJed every single house party in Clovis West that there was. Every nice. single graduation party. I, I literally would do uh, 
my junior, I worked with my boy, 1210. He did them. He had a, like, sound system, and I used to assist him. And then he graduated, and he didn't want to do, like, parties. He was, like, too cool. He's like, no, nah, I'm in college. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to keep it cool. So I bought a, a pair of, like, 15 speakers, and then I did every party. My senior and my freshman year in college, I remember, for Clovis Westkids. Okay. But I would make, like, 15 racks in, like, two months. Nice. Charge 500 bucks straight up Jeez. and do every single night after graduation. I was like, bam, 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 crushing it. And I was like, this is the greatest job ever. I was going to say, so were you still working or yeah, just I doing mean, the DJing stuff? The Taco Bell thing, I stopped like right before my senior year ended. Yeah. And I was just like, screw it. Yeah. Then I ended up getting a job at Starbucks. But that, that was like the greatest time ever. It was so sick. It was like, you just save all your money, get records. I remember I wanted a car. I wanted like an Audi A4 back then. I didn't get it. I got Pro Tools. <laughs> oh, there you go. Know. Got Pro Tools. So, but, like, what I'm saying is I saved. Like, it was, I was two years into college. I was making, I had all that money saved. And my and my mom and my brother and everyone was like, you got to you gotta save your money, invest your money. And I wanted a car. I was like, man, I want to get, a, like, a fucking car. Yeah. Like, I had a radio show at Fresno State from my high school year on. Like, every Friday night, like, I had, like, a hip-hop crew I was a part of. I was like, I learned how to make beats there. That's how I got into Cool Edit. And but what, what was the... The dude that DJ DJ twelve ten no the DJ group that you were a part of Scratchy Mentals yeah okay so that 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 came all right, I'll tell you that we we're at the radio station at Fresno State my freshman year the the guy I was gonna buy this set from became in my crew like we battled and all that stuff and we used to do like tapes DJ Pre he was in my crew DJ twelve ten was in my crew. There was this, a Filipino kid named um, Il Francisco is what he, when I met him as. Filipinos all can scratch. I don't care Absolutely. who you are. Absolutely. There's like this thing, like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to say, but certain ethnicities are just really good You're at certain things. You're not wrong, and that's not offensive because it's right. dope. Because they can all Phil dance, sing, or DJ. It's, yeah, just, it's just, it. just in it's them. Just, but, it's just but in scratching, them, huh? specifically scratch. I tell DJ Bab, I, I tell Filipino? the... Huh? Isn't Babu? Babu? Yeah. Filipino? Yeah. yeah. I, and Rhythm, I tell all the... The best Filipino DJs that are probably to ever live that you guys are, you guys have like the the black gene for basketball like you guys you <laughs> guys are just it. just really dope at it like no matter what you this is something you know how to do yeah. better than I think they'll the take majority it, people they'll take it to the bank too they love that oh they loved it That's but cool, um though. and they're the coolest guys ever but um yeah we started a crew and and I remember there's a guy by the name of Joey Beasel he's intellectually um, and developmentally disabled he's mild. Um, MR, high functioning guy, and I remember I had an open mic right down the street from here in Fresno State, where um, what it's what it is now, but I think it might be the Bulldog Bistro, or it's like the second building yeah, in the yeah, corner okay, right yeah, there yeah. by Sushi by Pop. Sushi Pop. Yeah. yeah, so I had a, a Sunday night open mic going on there my freshman year in college, and um, at that time I was I was involved in like one of the guys in my crew, DJ Awax, was from the Climax B Boy Soul Control and Climax B Boy crew. So he was their DJ. So all, like, you'd go to Holmes Park on um, over there on 1st and Tulare, and it was, like, full-on B-boy battles in the gym. Like, I'm talking about 40, 50 people battling and another 50 to 100 people in, like, a big circle watching these. And they would battle. Like, it was, like, organized but unorganized. Yeah. But it was, like, you're talking shit about me. We're battling. My crew, your See crew, who's better. over here. Yeah. That's way cooler to me, man. Yeah, like, that's yeah. how, but that's what the hip-hop culture was in Fresno back then. Mm. because there was no, like, I try to explain to people, like, we just made it ourselves. We just, like, the B-Boys back then, like, B-Boy Charles was a big part of it. 
he was like, we're going to battle. There's this, there's this gym spot. This is where we go. Saturday, 12 o'clock meet here till 4 o'clock. The DJs bring their own stuff. They spin the records. So I met AWAX through that. He, and then he was like, yo, I want to be in your, let's be, let's make a crew. I want to be in your crew, whatever. So that's how we started our, like a crew. We didn't have a name. So go to the go back to Fresno State's open mic. I'm spinning for some MCs or like doing a, like an open mic situation. And I give this guy break dancing in the cement on the in the parking lot. I'm like, I gotta check this out. <laughs> on the cement? On, on the cement. cement. Hold on. No, I'm, no cardboard, no nothing. Nothing. Just, He's damn. just he and you know, <laughs> MCs were out there ciphering, smoking, whatever they were doing. I go out and I see this guy, and he's literally trying to do like a windmill on the concrete. Damn. Cement asphalt in the middle of it, too. I walk up to the guy, I'm like, you gotta be like, you love. Break dancing. He goes, I love hip hop. My name is Joey Beasel. He's just big dude too. He's like six two, six three, a lot skinnier than he is now. And <laughs> so he comes in. I introduce myself, and I go, Hey, I've, if you ever want to come to our radio show, come out Friday nights nine o'clock at Fresno State. That next Friday, he shows up. He didn't stop showing up since that day. He doesn't drive. So he would take the fax bus home at at midnight. My show was from nine to twelve. Dang. So at at midnight he would stick around, and then the fax bus would be gone. He's like, "Oh, I need a ride." So I used to take him home, or my boy Pre. But mostly, it was a lot of times it was me taking him, and we take him to go eat and whatever. So one day we're looking through the records in, at the radio station at Fresno State KFSR, and it was a thing that said the 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 I think it was the Beat Farmers or something of like that was it the Beat Farmers. It was the Beat Farmers. That's how I got my DJ crew name. But J- that Joey, we got the name of our crew, Scratch You Mantles, because he was there and he got the record when he was scratching. And my boy DJ Pre was like, yo, let's scratch you mantles, like scratch your mantles. Scratch your mantles, yeah. Yeah, so then we took a picture of him, I remember. I met Sam Hansen, from, who's the Grizzlies director now. Um, he had just opened up a shop called FTK in Visalia. He was an MC, though. He would battle. And so he, I met him through like a hip-hop show I did in Chinatown. He... I was like, hey, dude, I got this sick-ass picture of this dude, Joey Beasel. You know how to do graphic design. Can you make this into, like, a logo? So okay. he literally took the picture and just, like, inverted it. I don't know. Back then, I mean, it wasn't. I have no idea how it went down back then. I have no idea. Like, how to graphic Like, he design. made yeah. it He made I, it I, negative or what? Exactly. Like, yeah. He just basically yeah. made a negative That's of dope. it and then made it into a circle and then put Scratchy Metals and all our name, and that was our crew. So Dang. Joey Beasel, he's, like, a hip-hop, like, icon for, like, the era of like the late nineties, two thousands, and then you know the early two thousands, tens, if you want to call it, he was like an icon. Like he went to every single hip hop show. He loved. He hated radio, like mainstream radio, hated okay. it, but loved everything indie hip hop, underground hip hop, or anything. And then he actually learned how to scratch. I mean, he's the real deal. Breakdance, MC, scratched. He knows how to make beats. But Scratching was, takes a lot of time. I'm trying to get into it now because that's one of the things I, I see all these videos and it's like you got to put the dedication into it. Yeah, man. It's um, it's, it's just the, the the technique of it. You know, the muscle memory is the hardest part to get that's, down. That's right? what I'm trying to get down. And that's just <laughs> only with time and practice. Yeah. You know, you got you to put it in. But then like creating your own like flavor was the thing that like every DJ had their own little like vibes and yeah. flavor that and was and you different. could tell. Right. Yeah. Even if like even like the best ones like Mixmaster Mike had like has like a style that you can't really emulate. Damn. It's it's him though. Like yeah. when you hear it, it's like oh that's Mixmaster Mike. You know, Babu had something about him. Um, I would see oh, him a lot. 
I would see him a lot just just being in LA. And I would well, yeah, he's he's out in LA. He's like teaching the, now. The Blue Monkey yeah, and stuff. The, the like, Beat yeah. Junkies. Yeah. They got a school of Beat Junkies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right down. I'm saying, I remember being like sneaking in as like a 19 year old and being like, "Yo," and my all of course all the people that put me on like showed me mm-hmm. an NPC as a as a kid that were all Filipinos. <laughs> right, yeah, you know, just from like Pico Rivera, or you know what I mean, or, or like Whittier, yeah. And I would be like, "What the fuck are you doing?" Yeah. And they'd be like t- hitting me in breaks to an NBC, and they'd be like, "Oh, okay." And they're all like in their early twenties, and I was just like, "Take me, please. I'll sneak in. Like yeah. I don't care, <laughs> you know." And I would just like see, I just like see like a fly on the wall, you know. What I mean, you just because like, I mean, this it's crazy because I, I my boy Mark Rutanison. He was our producer. I was in a group called The Basement at Clovis West. They needed a DJ, so I was the DJ, and he was the producer, and he used Cool Edit, single track, and then he taught me, like, how to use Cool Edit to record, and he made his beats on Fruity Loops okay. back when it was super early on. Yeah. And I remember people used to hate on him so much back then, like, because he made the other hip-hop crews in town. You make your beats on Fruity Loops. It's not, like, on MPC or SP or oh. ASR and all this stuff, right? So you get traditionalists, even though we didn't have a lot, you'd get some that were, like, kind of trying to knock it, right? He taught me how to make beats on Fruity Loops, but I always remember I wanted an NPC. I was like, no matter what, I'm getting an NPC when I can save up. That's how I want to make my beats. And uh, But he taught me cool edit, the whole basics of sampling, how to cut, um, how to make a beat, compose the drums, the whole thing. He taught, I used to, like, he didn't teach me, like, hey, I'm going to teach you how to make beats. I used to just go to his he house just watched what he was and doing. just watched him. And then I'm like, like, how'd you do that? Yeah. Yeah. And then he he would tell you. And he was super, like, he was the best. He was like, there wasn't YouTube tutorials back then, bro. Even then, even even trying to watch that, it's not even the same. He's a doctor now. So let's three of the five MCs in, or three of the five members in our crew are doctors and surgeons. Okay. Um, Was he at at, uh, Nebecker Christmas? um, No, he wasn't at Nebecker's. No. But two, one's a surgeon, two are doctors, one's a psychiatrist psychologist one is the leader of the islamic um like chamber in in, in fresno islamic chamber of commerce or um yeah he's like he, he's like on he's like one of the the leaders of the islamic like um a community here in town oh, okay. sure. um uh, his name is rez is a great guy and then his brother owns um the burger place called our grills oh, his okay. dad owned it and then he took it over and he, he had f3 of them nice. so but the the one i mean they're Mark or Marcus Precise is what he went by. Dude was a genius. Like he was so smart. Like I feel like I did meet the, that guy. Was he there? Because he and his brother were there. I'm almost positive. No, Mill and I haven't seen him in like ten plus years. Okay. Um, but because uh, you said you said these souls are doctors. You probably just know a lot of doctors, Aaron. Anyways, besides the point, <laughs> I, I do know doctors. But anyways, he just it, like you said, there's no tutorial. Like no, I don't know who he learned from and how he learned, but he learned how to do it, and then. Um, I would just like watch him and then he would teach me. And then I remember I, I used to make my beats. I didn't like, I didn't have a computer growing up. You know, I didn't have a lot of, a lot of stuff. And then I remember when I went to college, um, my brother and my mom and my dad were like, okay, we're going to get a computer now because you guys are in college. Yeah. That was thing. the move back then. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I was like, okay, we're getting our first computer. And then I just literally made it into like my studio. Like I your broke, computer. Nice. Yeah. Cool edit. Free loops, everything. Mark, come over, hack it, do whatever you got to do, and then I would make all my beats from that. And then um, it's crazy to think about how how much people take advantage of like how how much you had to learn 
and like not to make you sound ancient or anything, but like how much you had to learn back then to make it. Yeah, like, I mean, make it work for you. You know what I mean? Like, I think everything I've done, I had to learn. Though, like, I, I either someone taught me or like I was in the process, like recording. Yeah. Okay. Like, it was weird. We made a hip hop album, and I'm so, I'm like I'm a very anal person about like music and sounds or just anything I do. And no knock to Mark, but to me the album sounded not like what was on like, like I'm hearing at the record He's store. He's exactly oh, okay. the same way. Right. He's exactly the same way. Like it sounded like trash to me, and I'm like, okay, why does it sound like trash? He's like, well, your your converters, your digital, the analog converters are this and this, and it's like, well, what do you have to get? Oh, there's this thing called uh, 888 Pro Tools at that time. Okay, Th that's what they're using right now, or you got to have two inch tape. Okay, well, I don't have a two inch tape reel. Okay, what microphone are they using? Yeah. Oh, these are the types of mics they're using. What are the preamps? What are the compressors? So you start studying every aspect of it, and when you don't have the money, you get like. I got a like a, a converter chip. I remember it's like, oh my god, this sounds so much better now. How much better was it? Not it, to, was it was just mentally because yeah. you because like, you bought something that you yeah. yeah. So mentally, you're yeah. like, okay, now your sounds your stuff is better. Oh, you, now your beats are on an MPC. They sound even a little bit better. And that's when I was um, getting into scratching heavy, throwing events. I mean, I used to throw events because we had to throw our own events. Nobody threw. Events. So when did when, you, yeah? When, when did, did that start? Like when when were you like, I love DJing, but like I would I need to be like this is my wheelhouse because obviously you you grew up doing it doing it your way, but what most people know you for and we didn't even preface this in the beginning of this interview. Nobody is, knows who I am. Yeah, yeah. My well, name I mean, is that unknown person. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> this you know Aaron Hegemian that the yeah. man yeah, yeah, yeah. the myth the legend that put on Grizzly Fest for us mm -hmm. you know I mean and brought that to our town I'll definitely put this in pre production you know what I mean like yeah you're good I know I know him as as DJ Hector well so do I but like on a like personal level you know what I mean like it was just I started DJing like that was my thing that I love I mean I love music so but I wasn't like a guitar player I wasn't a piano I was like I'm not, I just love the culture of DJing. And then I just immersed myself in DJing, like yeah. especially scratching. And then I remember, like, I got into mixing by going to Fat Beats on Vermont when it was still on Vermont. And I remember J-Rock, crazy story. So one of my first shows I ever played was my senior year, April 24th, I believe, 1999. It was at UCLA. My boy Sarah was a freshman, and, he, and we had to compete to open for... Black Star, KRS One, Common, and the Roots. Wow! At the show, at the show in UCLA, man. And obviously, I was a fan of the Roots. Black Star had just, you know, hit the scene like a year prior to that. Amazing album. KRS One was KRS One. Still at that time, it was like that's KRS One, um, and uh, Common. And this was prior to Common coming out with um, his Like Water for Chocolate album. Mm -hmm. So. We went, and I remember there was another DJ by the name of Hectic there, and he wanted oh, a battle. And I was like, fuck it, let's battle. Like I was like, let's go right now. We <laughs> didn't battle. He's from San Diego. He's actually still around. He could have the name because I don't – I'll book him. I don't care. Yeah. Like, you, you can keep DJing. I, I'm, I'm past that. Yeah. But – and no knock to DJs. I'm just like, what do I do, fight this guy for the name? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He still hasn't gone anywhere, and he's been – like, I've stopped 10 years ago. Like, I really stopped DJing. Yeah. Like, I haven't really – pursue DJing heavy in a long time. We won that competition. His group was in it or whatever. I went back and J-Rock was DJing for Blackstar and I knew who J-Rock was and he goes, can I use your set? 
And I was like, hell yeah, you can use my set, right? But I remember, like, how he respected my needles, my slip mats, my mm, headphones. Mm. The way he put it, like, he was so, like, super, like, mindful of... of yeah, he, he knew didn't what you have had. To be. He, yeah. He, yeah, he knew He didn't have had. to be. He'd be like, let me use your shit. So... I remember I was talking to him backstage after real brief and I was like just telling him how, how much I was a big fan or whatever. And we're like a local opener. Like so nobody's like giving a shit about us. We did the show. It was amazing. I went to go buy records from Fat Beats that summer and he was spinning in the front and just the way he mixed and I remember seeing him on Soundcheck like the way he blended records and then mixing and Melody had a show on Power 106 back then and he was super sick at like he was on the radio show yeah. for them. He was amazing at mixing and then j-rock and i was like and i got his he had a tape he was selling there and i got it and um it was a cd at the time but it was still a mixtape and it was just the, his blending were just amazing so i wanted to be ill at kind of being able to mix too mm-hmm. right so i was scratching trying to mix party rocking the whole nine so i i try to em- embrace every aspect of djing but the scratching is what got me into it it was kind yeah. of like the outlet yeah you know what i mean but then when you DJ at a party, you're like, damn, the high of this is sick. Like when you drop a record, like And everybody goes. I was nuts. dropping shit at Clovis West parties before kids even heard of that stuff. Like But you can only do that but you can only do that like then. Noriega Super Thug. They had no clue what the hell that song was. I'm dropping it. And yeah. they're like, What the fuck is this? And I remember <laughs> we were at a party out by ninety nine and like past Ashland or Clint, um, almost by like Shields mm-hmm. playing out there it was like that was before house party. That was before yeah. And I, I remember I and they were like, What the fuck is this? Cameron when he, he was dropping his singles oh, and damn. stuff like that. I was just like I would just drop the record and be like I didn't give a fuck and I'd have the attitude like this is the illest shit you don't know about it because you're whack like I always had that mentality like you don't know this because you're whack not me you're whack oh shit there you go and I'm there's like, your answer Bob yeah well no, I mean that's, that's how I feel all the time I know but yeah. like, you know I, what in I feel day is, and age now it's different though right it sucks because exactly you're, you're, you're trying to you're trying to cater to the crowd that you have but it at the same time, I get pissed off all the time because I'm like, these motherfuckers are going to Vegas, right. you know, to go party and they fucking love that atmosphere. Right. But you try to bring that shit here and they're like, because they don't know what they don't want it. And it's so weird because it's so venue based now before right. like you could like you're like, I'm here to be here. You're here because I'm here. Listen to my shit. Now it's like he's cultivating shenanigans. He's cultivating Lux. He's cultivating right. whatever he's right. doing. And then they're like, what is this? Like, what? I haven't heard right. this song yet. Yeah, it sucks. But when I did the club thing for a while, me and Lewis partnered up, and I and I was doing the clubs. Um, I mean, we basically the way I did it was I wanted to promote. I told Lewis I'm not gonna just go DJ clubs. Yeah, I'll promote the club and DJ because I want I want the money. I'm not gonna waste my time doing this bullshit just to get paid like a regular DJ. Yeah, I want the money or I'm not doing it. And Lewis was like, all right, let's form a company. We'll just promote our own. Like, and we did like one night here. Two weeks later, another party here. We would do like pop up parties. Yeah, right. Those are better. That's yeah. what I'm trying to get into. And now we were crushing. It's... Like I'm, we're crushing it. But I remember, then even like, the majority of the people loved it. But I remember like you'd get those girls, you'd get some of those people that are like, oh my god, what is this? And it's like, shut up. Yeah, like, just go home. Like you're, you're late. Just bounce. That's what I said. I was you like, know? we don't want you here. Then go away. Then yeah, like don't be here for the party. Then. But that's how I'm sure it's gotten like that even more. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. It does definitely now, because there's now a DJ is like what everybody could have like a little what's the little MIDI controller joints where everything's like all in one now. What do they call those? The, yeah, just the DJ controllers. Like, like the all in one. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Everybody can get one. You can spend five hundred bucks and you could just have a laptop connected to yeah. it and like oh I got I got a playlist. I'm a DJ and it's like everybody feels like. They're a DJ, but nobody understands like the methodology of DJing and how you 
set up songs to get the next record going. Your transitions you keep and that energy. your drops, like everything. Yeah. Like there's everything. a whole there's a whole like like studying. But they want DJ. you to play the same song twice, and it's like, yeah, I already played that record. Like, I already, yeah, yeah I tell them all the time. I already played it. Like, you should have been here early. I'm not, I'm, I can't fucking play it again. Yeah. Like, it just, and that shit drives me nuts. I had a little funny thing, though, when I told Lewis, I would play records for the D-Boys. Because they would buy the bottles. Oh, They would okay. get the place cracking. And I would play, like, D-Boy anthems. And our bar numbers were through the roof. Like, no, I could ask all the owners that we, we spun at their spots. Like, we're all buddies with them now. They loved us. Because their bar numbers were higher than they've ever been because I was making sure, I would call out people. Like, oh, you think you're a D-boy? You better go buy $2,000 of balls right now. Nice. I'm calling you out. <laughs> oh, you think you're tight? Prove oh, it. Oh, you think Prove you, it. you think young Jeezy's dope like in Fresno? Okay, go do go do what he does in Atlanta. And then yeah. we would crush it. Fucking A, yeah. It was like you, you had... But you gotta kind of like, <laughs> yeah. you, you gotta manipulate the system yeah, a little bit. Absolutely. And but that's where that's where I, my he, genre misses, dude. Like if I fucking start yelling at people in the crowd. You know what I mean? Like rock and roll is real sensitive, dude. I, the, I, the live artist is no different. You're, you're I do a good job live. You most do of great. The time. You know, you, it's it's no it's no difference from a live artist standpoint, though. Like when you look at artists that you're a fan of, like they're they control the energy of that show, top to bottom. Everything they're doing, everything they're saying, when you pay attention to these really big acts, it's basically the same act like a DJ set. Like, Cascade is going from one club to the next to the next. Oh, or yeah. Calvin Harris, whatever. It's the same set. Oh, it is. It's just in different It's just in different places. So, artists, when they're coming to Fresno, they're doing the same exact set. Shit, with Fast Sean, when we would tour, it was 40, 40 dates of the same fucking thing. 40 times. Yeah, you're right? not changing it up. You're trying just to like master a- that. 40 you know that that yeah. 60 minutes you're drawing you're trying to master it and and hone that in at the best you can and the ones that you know are bigger and better they they, move they do on. it bigger yeah and better, huh? yeah they do it bigger and better i mean that's just what it is but what when when did because you said you wanted to promote because you're like i want the money so that, that was that, that was club promoting that's what i'm saying i so didn't like, i wasn't a fan of the whole um let me DJ for money, and then you get all the you reap I, all the benefits. I, w- I wasn't a fan of the monotony of being a club DJ. Mm. So, like overall, like I had to play the record that was on radio. Yeah, because you had to do it, right? I don't. Being I like, don't have to do that. I just you could just tell, like, okay, you got these people here already. You you right. you, you don't want them to leave. So you're like, fuck. Okay, like I got to cater to what right. they want. But I feel you. And that's 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 the problem is, is that I do it every single week. Right. If I was doing it like pop ups, that's what I'm trying to get into. where It's monthly events. And I wouldn't give a shit because people are like, fuck, man, where you been? Like, we, you know, we're going to come see you now. It's not like, oh, he's there every week. Uh, We'll go once. Uh, You know, that's what's pissing me off. He always tells me this about the, the band shit. Yeah. You know, I mean, less is always more. Right. It's the it's the whole when they can't get access to it. They'll pay more for it. Yeah, exactly. Um, shit, I might not do Grizzly Fest next year just to let people like fuck you. To fiend it. <laughs> you, you, we're not doing it next year. Like, wait. Damn. And Sorry. then they're just like. Sorry, you guys You guys thought, you okay, I don't have to do it. Yeah. Fuck. I don't have to do it. You really? Yeah, you don't. You know what I mean? As a DJ, like, I don't have to play every set, right? It's it's. I'm not I'm not the artist, though, for Grizzly Fest. So yeah. I, it's a little different approach. But as a DJ, you that's what you you want to crave, right? You want people to come to see you and you doing something that you don't have to always do all the time. So the club DJ thing was, that was it though. Like I would go spend at Vinny's for like free. 
When Don, okay. he would call me or Tony and these guys, like, come spend at Vinny's. I'm like, I don't even want any money because that format is play whatever. Exactly. And just do an ill set. Yeah. It, and Vinny's has always stayed that yeah. way. And I that's can go into a whole 80s set in the middle of it and nobody gives a fuck. If I'm playing at a, at a club on the north side or in Clovis somewhere and I just want to just drop something, like, people would be like, what the fuck? Yeah. I remember, <laughs> like, let's talk about mashups. There was nobody doing mashups. I was submitting mashups in 2003 and four. To the owner of LRG, Jonas Brockfoot, uh, I don't want to say his last name right, but Jonas is just what I used to know him as. My boys were there, and Sam, FTK, and I remember I did this whole mashup. It was going to be like an LRG mashup tape, right? Underground incentive, overground effective, I think was their model, right? And I did a whole thing where I took like underground artists and mainstream artists, and I mm-hmm. did a full-on mashup. Like That's dope. Any acapella, if it was an underground artist acapella, which they didn't have much of. I would mash it up with like a mainstream beat, right? Yep. This was prior to pro like the the Serratos and yeah, all this yeah. stuff, right? And I remember I, I submitted in a whole and Jonas one day at Magic was like, this was the he pulls me over, he goes, dude, that tape you did is the illest thing ever. Like, I wanna I want you to do my tape. And he's like, talk to my guy. And his guys, no no disrespect, and they're they're kind of cool, but they're kind of they were kind of douchey, so they kind of tried to play me off because I wasn't a big name DJ type thing. So I used to do mashups here. People are like, "What the fuck is that?" And then I used to start pre-programming my mashups. There you and then go. Serato had just came out, so I was like, "Cool, I could record it like a song." Perfect. And then I made my own mashups, and then I would send them out to DJ packs. And you know, there's some people that still still may use one or two. I don't know if they do, but back then they were. And then like it was that's what motivated me to do the clubs too. I was like, at least I can do. Something creative and put it out there. And not be the same. And then go play T-Pain, buy me a drink, you mm-hmm. know, eight songs in because that's what you really want to hear or yeah. whatever that next record was. Mashups got me most interested in DJing. Not even going to fucking lie. Like, my dad was a DJ, and I would DJ with him all the time. But when I heard Mashups. DJ here? Yeah. What's his name? Mr. Melody. Mr. Melody. That sounds super familiar. Yeah. And didn't you go to Clovis West? Too, yeah, I went it? to Clovis West. I'm pretty sure I saw you as one of the DJs when, when we went to the dances. So When did you graduate? Not uh, 05. Uh, ah, shit. I might have done 01, maybe 02 that's what, was the end. I, that's what, yeah, probably the first two. You're, your dad, your dad's from Fresno was a DJ, Mr. Yeah, Melody. Mr. Melody, yeah. Tell me about him. Bob I want to know. So, yes. I want to know about him. No, I'm serious. <laughs> no, I, no I, I love this. I love this. This is my favorite thing. Like, this is what made me and Bobby become friends. Yes. When he told me this story. We were drunk at the, sitting at a bar in Elliot's and because he knew that I, I, I had made a couple beats here and there uh-huh. and you told me not to do that and to do alternative music. <laughs> and <laughs> Don't I, listen I, to me all the time, man. Dude, I, I, I tell so many people that story because just so before we talk about Bobby's dad, that shit crushed me when you were like, <laughs> no, Don't. you made, but here's the deal. You submitted, you get, you played me songs and a couple of them that weren't like the, the beat making, let's say the pop urban kind of a vibe to me. I was like, this is really dope. This sounds something fresh and different, and yeah. I liked it. I knew where it your caught, heart was at, but it when, caught my ear. So I was like, "That's tight." Yeah, but you said, "Go do that." Like, don't be, don't do this shit. It's just like when you, when someone that you look up to, you know, one of your big homies is like, "Yo, don't do this." Like, it almost feels like they're saying, and I always say it like hyperbole wise, like Aaron said, "You're bad at this. Stop doing it." When there's no way that you said that to me in that way. It's not bad. It's like exactly. I'm just saying, like when you when you heard it like that the first time, then you were like, "Dude." 
What the fuck? I thought he would like that shit. Well, you know look, what I mean? Did he, so he basically, you gave him two different styles, right? Well, me and it Jukebox. It was like four songs you sent me, though, okay. or something. But the fifth one was not a beat that I made. It was something that me and Jukebox were fucking okay. with. And you were like, don't make this. This is what you need. This isn't good. Right. Do this. So, so I was just like. You, you presented but, him with but options. The thing was, I thought that the, the thing that me and Jukebox, shout out to Jukebox, was working on wasn't very good. I thought all the beats that me and Ea were making were the best. Oh, okay. And the ones I was making by myself were, I showed him like one that Eo and I had made. I showed him three that I had made on my own. Yeah. And I showed him one song that, that I had actually recorded a little bit of vocals on. Right. And you were like, whatever this is, keep doing this. The rest of the stuff's not very good. And I remember being like, oh my God, this is the worst. But it made me want to start making rock and roll music. So it worked out, you, go. you know, for the better. But yeah. I mean... I'm, I've been hard like that on quite a few people, to be honest. Like, I, I took it. I took it with a grain of salt, and, and, it made and I don't. And I don't mean hard in a bad way. Like, and I have to be honest. Like, the thing, the one thing about, like, the the cult, like the the the, the way I grew up, the culture. I used to always hang out with my, you know, my older brother and his friends. Right? If you were like whack at playing hoops, or you were some, they would call you out. Yes, absolutely. It was that culture of like, you're not tied to this, stop, or do something different, right? But it makes you internalize it and then work harder. Like, that's because right. that's, that's what it made me do. It was like, fuck, like, I need, okay, th- fine, I'm going to do, if, if that's what I'm supposed to do, then that's what I'm supposed to do. So I took it, like, I took the advice probably too literally, but I ended up doing what I wanted to do anyways in a, in a lane that I had made for myself. Right, and, and here's the thing. When you're listening to talent or you're listening, like, when you listen to a record... You yeah. know from the first five seconds, like, this has potential being something good or not, right? Of course. So when you come from a culture of just, like, DJing and making beats and sampling and fucking music <sighs> is everything, everything is within that first five or ten seconds how it feels, like, what your body catches on to, right? If I hear something, I listen no more than ten seconds, and I'll skip through it. That sound. Mm-hmm. Now, if you, know, you want me to listen to a hook, I'll listen to your hook. I'll, yeah, absolutely. I'll forward to that portion. So when you play me, I'm like, I listen. I'm like, this caught my attention. That caught my attention. There's a reason why that caught my attention. I don't know why, but it just did. I like these two things. You're asking for yeah. my opinion. I'm going to tell you that's what I like. Right? Yeah. So, so it's, it's like bad to sugarcoat shit. Yeah. It's yeah. like, I'm not going to lie to someone. Like, oh, it did wonders for me at on a personal level. But, yeah. but at one point in my life, I used to get so many records from local artists, right? That it was just to the point where, and I would try to listen to a lot of them. I, I'm, I honestly tried to. And then it was just to the point where I'm just like, nobody here understands. It's just my ment- It was just like, people don't get it. And then when I used to support somebody that was like different, they're like, well, why do you support him? I'm way different. Because he's doing something different that's original, that yeah. caught my attention, and I thought that was cool. That's why. I don't have to support you. I could support whoever the fuck I want to yeah, support. Yeah, very true. And it's something that was unique and diverse and different. But if it spoke to you, it spoke to you. It's, if, it's, if it's a matter of your opinion and you have the... Yeah, because it's like, I'll use Fashion, for example. I was working with Fashion, so everybody who wanted to, like, rap and be an MC would send me stuff like, well, I could rap. Just, I'm like, yeah, but I don't need 18 Fashions in my life. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely, I want yeah. something that's different or unique or somebody that brings something different to the table if you're going to send me beats, like I used to get producers sending me beats all the time for Fat Sean that sounded like Exile. I'm like, I have Exile. I don't need this. Yeah. Yeah. Why am I going to, why am I going to stop working Choose with this yours. other person yeah. and, and, and say, hey, Fat Sean, because you're making this shit that beats. he sounds like it. Yeah. It's, it's corny. It's, 
it's derivative. It's the non. It you're so non-creative at that point that I don't even want to deal with you. You're not an artist to me. You're just mimicking another person in that sense. Yeah, yeah right? they're just like, oh, I'm I'm just like this person. Yeah. Well, it's like, oh, that's no. What they do is they say those are the kind of beats you want. So I'm gonna make those kinds of beats. So yeah, it's like it's you hear tried. producers talking about all the time. I know, dude. Yeah. Oh, I'm making these kind of beats. Yeah, like, and I'm like, dude, that's what I get upset about though, because I'll get upset at producers or like, you know, I don't want beat makers or whatever they want to call themselves because they'll send me shit and they'll be like, yo, that costs this much money, and I'm just like, I'm not gonna use it. Right. So like, leave me alone. I mm. liked this one maybe, but I, I decided to go in a different direction, and now I'm an asshole because I don't <laughs> want to buy your product. Now I'm a dick. Now I'm never going to nah. fucking work with you again. I look at it this way. Buying a beat is like buying food, right? It better be fucking good if I'm going to spend my money on it. Absolutely. And if your beat's not fucking good, I'm not spending money on it. Great way to Straight up. It. Like, you're sending me a beat. Sure, we'll, we'll demo it. We'll see how it sounds. But it's like, I want to demo Honestly, I'm going to have it demoed so I can get lyrics out of it. And then find a beat that I do like and flip those <laughs> nice. lyrics on a beat that I really <laughs> yeah. do like. That's how my mind was thinking. There you so, go. So, sure. But it's like, oh, you don't want to buy it? No, I don't want to buy your beat. You're, it's If the MC is going to make the record, then uh, the MC should get the money on it. Your beat's just whatever. Like, it, it, it doesn't touch me, you know? Yeah. And I remember, I used to be represented. I had a manager. He's actually one of the VPs of A&R at Atlanta Records now. Uh, his name is Success. He he helped manage me for, for a while with some beats back in... 2003, 4, 5, around that time period. And um, he used to always tell me, and he was working with Just Blaze. He was from Chicago. He he knew Kanye and kind of um, through the inner circles, kind of like sent some Kanye beats to some people. And, you know, he was, he's a Chicago dude, but just a straight hustler. Lived in New York and awesome dude. And um, he would always tell me the same thing too. Like I remember I used to go to New York and, I would see producers that were like on the cusp of like Jay picking their beat and you know, Cameron or whoever from no, whoever like just right, fabulous right at the there. time was gonna uh. pick their beat, right? And it's like you're seeing them in these studios make beats and these dudes literally just banged out four or five, six beats a day and just gave it to a manager and that was it. Like they didn't even ask. They were like, Oh my god, he picked a beat. They were so happy to get a record picked. They didn't care about the money. Yeah, Produ pr like local beat makers, they want to get paid 150 bucks for something that no one's ever going to hear. It's like the stupidest business model that ever exists in life. I'm going to be a local rapper. No disrespect to local rappers. Yeah. But, you know, when, when I met the artists that I met and everybody that I tried to build, it was like, we're going to build a sound. We're going to build an energy. We're going to build some kind of movement. Fuck the money. Like the money's going to come. The, my mom tells me this money's the easiest thing in the world to get. It is the easiest thing in the world to find. It's right under your nose. You just got to fucking do whatever you can do. So fucking dope. She didn't say in those words. Yeah. Sorry, Mom. I assume but she still, did it. Hyperbole, still. hyperbole. <laughs> but you have to just be so good at what you're doing and, and do it that way all the time and just be consistent. And people will come to you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, the, that's the, the one thing that so frustrates me about the local music scene in Fresno is people expect things, but they haven't earned any respect. Like, you have to earn respect. And I'm not talking about, like, someone telling you you're good. Yeah, yeah, You no, have no, no, to no. earn respect. Like, you need to get people to be like, you're dope. That's, like, 80, 
800 miles away that's got an, you know, a, pl- a plethora of artists that they're representing that are known or a publishing company or a record label or somebody to be like, you're dope. We want you for me to be like, respect. Those guys are doing it right there. Like, they're, they're going above and beyond the, the norm. People here, they just make music and expect people to like it and say, well, the local music scene sucks. But here's what I'm saying. I think that the internet did that to people. I, I it made people lazy, that's for sure. I think so. Yeah. Because instead of like wanting to play and like play in front of people, because I know you always get mad at me about like <clears throat> like being available, but like my, because like, you're right, but what's my fucking favorite thing to do? Like you've seen me up there, dude. I just that's it's all playing I, live. But here's the thing: because I want to play on bigger stages, and I understand it's that not it's not about playing on bigger stages. It's about what's the purpose of you playing? Why are you playing? Just to play music? Because I mean, yeah, well, not just to play music, but what's the purpose though? Are you putting out an album? Are you putting out a single? Are you doing a party for something? What's the reason that you're celebrating to play, to to spend your energy and your time and your talents? To convey it to other people, like, what's that purpose? Just to play, you can play in a in a rehearsal studio all the time, all as many times as you want. Invite people over and just play if that's what you want to do. Yeah, because there's people at Studio Nine. You go in there, they're just jamming out, drinking beers. People going in there and they're just playing. But if you're gonna like put yourself out there in a business sense, a model like, boom, boom, Brady is playing here on this flyer on this date. What's that purpose? Just to get people to hear you, like fuck that. I mean, I don't want. I don't want to say that I'm. I'm doing it financially, but it's like to finance things like albums, to finance things like that. I don't have financial backing from anybody, so I know that if I play this show for five hundred and I play this show for five hundred, this show for five hundred, I can spend fifteen hundred dollars in the studio to make new music. But, there, but there's a way of doing it. So I threw my own parties because I didn't want to get paid five hundred bucks. See, that's where I want. That's that's why I wanted to I, ask. Okay, so yeah. my first show. With the basement, we rented a place in Chinatown on Fresno and uh, F and E Street, basically um, right by Chris's meet for a penny, right? Rented this place. It was a nonprofit. There was nothing in there with a little stage, a swamp cooler. I brought all my DJ stuff out there, all my equipment. My DJ crew was the, the DJs and a couple lo- local hip-hop crews, and we, we did a show. We promoted it like it was our big concert. We took everything that came into the door. We split it amongst a bunch of people, right? Yeah. But that's what we did. And then we did it again. And I said, hey, let me spend 500 bucks on this guy named Encore from the Bay Area. I'm spending his record on the radio station. Cool. Planet Asia shows up, right? Yeah. And then 40 Watt Hype comes. And then 40 Watt Hype at that time had every venue kind of, uh, they were starting out. But, like, you couldn't do a hip-hop show in Fresno. Anywhere. That we were ending the era of Mac Ten and um, Dub C and that whole West Side connection and yeah. Cube and Snoop and Are you Dre. Saying that it was illegal. No, the it, no owner, no venue would book a, mm. a book you to do a rap show because mm-hmm. there was so much. Mind you, ninety two, ninety three, Fresno was like the like the murder capital yeah. of the United States. This is five years later. Think like, about five years ago what was it. going on in Fresno. The same thing that's going on now, right? Yeah. Much doesn't change. So yeah. much didn't change there in five years. And you're asking these people, we're a hip-hop group, but we want to do a show at your place. Well, what do you do? We have a microphone. We rap with a DJ. Nope, not going to happen. Right? Absolutely. I just wanted to make sure. I wanted the listeners to know that's so, what you were saying. That, so what that, I'm saying. That so, makes sense. So we did our own shows, and then we met people, and then Aaron Wall's like, hey, why don't you come do a show with me at this um, Starline? 
which is now Strummers, right? Well, they let us. Yeah, no problem. I'm in with the guy. You're cool. I'll tell him you guys are good. So then we do show there. Then we kind of get in at the star line. And then you want to do another one. Like, well, let's throw our own party. Well, I want to throw this thing called Urban Combat at Fresno State. MC Battle, B-Boy Battle, whatever. President Castro, I need $5,000 to put this on. I want to book such and So I did it, and we did a show there. And we So you, we didn't do a show. Like, I never did a show for somebody else. Got it. Ever. Because I... I'm not on some Dame Dash shit, but I'm on some Dame Dash shit. I wanted to own whatever the <laughs> yeah, fuck you, I was doing. Exactly. Because I didn't want someone to have to tell me, like, I DJed for yeah. club promoters, and they would screw me on 250 bucks, 300 bucks. I'm like, fuck that. I'm going yeah. to chase this guy and beat his ass for $250 right now. For what? So then I can't go to that club. I can't. So I'm like, all right, you won that battle, but guess what? I'm never going to DJ for you. I'll actually open up and compete against you and take your money. Yep. Right. So that's what I mean by that. And I don't mean like you have to own every show you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. Because times have changed. But it's if you're going to take ownership of it, own the night, like book the strummers, book artists you like, to bring them into town you, to play and with to you, play yeah. with you and you own everything and make it the yeah, biggest party. Make it your birthday bash. Yeah. Where you know people are going to show up your friends will yeah. pay 10 bucks and you can bring in like three G's yeah. try to negotiate part of that bar. You can do a 5k gross night. Fuck it. You made $2,000 for you and your band instead of playing a show, wasting a show opportunity for 500 bucks in three months, you do one show you instead of doing four shows in the same time. And see that structure is exactly what I'm going for. Okay. <laughs> like, I mean, it's I mean, already, it's already laid out, look, but that was the blueprint I did for fashion. Nice. I did that exact blueprint. I was like, you're not doing any show until I tell you you're going to do the show and what show we're doing. And people used to hate me. I was like, he's not playing that fucking local show. You're crazy. There you go. I'm going to do my own show, sell that shit out. When I used to give Fash's money, he's like, oh, yeah, that's great. I'm like, yeah, because you, it's your it show. It was your show. You know, even if 100 people came the first one, you know 100 people came for you that first one and spent money. You're building your fan base. You're building the model. You're getting that behavior trained for them to buy a ticket, buy a T-shirt, buy an album, whatever it may be, right, from a local level. So that was what – but this is, again, 14 years ago now, 2006 when I started with him doing that, seven. So times may have changed. I get it. I'm not, I'm not in the music business like that anymore. There's, just, there's not that many venues. I mean, there, there there is, but there isn't. What and then is, is they're already doing their own stuff. And they've figured out that what they do is they just, like, contract their shit out to, uh, I don't want to use the word promoter, but a promotion company, right? So you To an extent. So, so I mean, then, there's some. I'm just saying, for yeah, like, yeah. For, as far, I can only speak for rock and roll. I can only speak oh, for okay, rock and roll. Okay, so okay. if you want to do, like, I love strummers. I always go and support drummers. Shout out to the. Eddie's amazing, by the way. So we haven't had this much talent come through. A, a club in Fresno since I can remember. Yeah. You know, nice. Jason Pissaresi and Eddie, like they, they, they finally fit, like created a, a, a venue in town. Now locally, it doesn't benefit all the time because it's not locally driven like Starline used to be. Yeah. But you're getting routed shows all the time. Well, here's yeah. what I'm saying. There have been bands like not in a disrespectful way, but haven't put in the same amount of work. And I just want to play there. Like, I don't right. even, like, I'm not even saying, like, let me put on my own fucking show in there. Like you're right. saying, I'm like, hey, man, like, is there, is, did, I, did I get blackout drunk and do something stupid? Like, <laughs> tell they, me. They haven't, tell me they haven't booked have, you or I have, what? I have emailed them. Like, I will open for them for free. I, like, I've said, like, let me play. Let me play. 
Yeah. And it's always been, again, not negative. I, I still go there. We go there like every Tuesday. Yeah. If we want, if no, we I, I talk to them about throwing my own event. Yeah. And they're like, hey, it's it's $1,000. And we, we take care of a security. You, you get the whole door. Right. And I'm just like, okay, well, shit. I got to spend 1000 and then promote it, do all this stuff. And I just, I didn't know how much I would be able to, to make. Well, I'm not going to get into the number games. No, I, I get would, it. I know. But, but, no, absolutely. <laughs> but like, we're not talking about math I just, here, wa- I just, I just watched um, the Black Godfathers about Clarence Avant, right? And I knew who Clarence Avant was. I watched it because you were watching it, by the way. But I didn't, <laughs> I knew of his name. Me too. But didn't know what the hell this guy did. Like in, it says in the documentary. But what did he say in there? Life right. is all about numbers. Yeah. Right. You walk well, he in said, there. He said about who you know. You walk in he there and say, yeah, it is about who you know, but it, you build who you know by showing improving. Yeah. yeah. Right? You, you meet more and more people by making numbers happen. Right? So if you go to a venue and say, what are you making on a Tuesday, dude? Yeah. What, what's your numbers? And they're like, oh, shit. I can guarantee if you tell an owner of any spot, let me give you 300 bucks. Let me come in this spot. Let me take it out. Bam. 250 bucks. You can keep. 70% of the bar, 80% of the bar, just give me a little kickback on it, and I'll take the door. Most of these people are going to take it because they're not making that anyways, yeah. right? So Your you Tuesdays are completely dead. Yeah, so. you, don't, you don't go to a place that has shows. Like, I wouldn't go to Strummers. That place is already, already popping. Yeah, it's already yeah, got yeah. things going on. I'm going to go to a place, and I'm going to be Strummers' competitor, right? I'm going to create an energy at their competition, and I'm going to find a venue, and I'm going to build it. And if I build it fast, and I know, like, I have the pool, then I'm going to move it and I'm going to create like a bidding war and I'm going to figure it out. So then when I go yeah. to them, they're going to be like, oh yeah, let's let this guy do a show. He's good. For, he makes money happen. So you got to book it on those off days though, right? You have to. Yeah. I was going to say, to start, everybody's going to be laughing at you like well, Friday, Saturday, they're already busy. What the fuck are yeah, you going right. to do? Yeah. I mean, well, you have to do that. Yeah. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm doing that like in, in different facets, you know what I mean? Like with like yeah. basket house and stuff like that. But like, you know, like open mics, changing the way people do open mics. Just, But that's just because I told you earlier, like, I just like doing live shit. Like that. True. I mean, the way I, I, the way I, I interpreted I what he said, though, is I like, understand. you are, you are wanted. People want to book you. Yeah. But what he's saying is you, gotta you, make it you do it yourself and then you, you reap all the benefits of it. If you call the girl every time and she shows up every time. That girl doesn't have much value. I know what you were saying when right. we were talking about. If you there call that is. girl and she's, she stands you up a few times, she does this, then you're like... But this is what he does to me every time. But I no, mean, but, but I he's, always he's speaking but the fucking knowledge but, that you... I know. <laughs> but it's simple philosophy of, yeah. of what it is. So you can literally, and this is going to be probably a fucking long-ass podcast. No, but that's cool. No, we all got all day. You can go to our hop, put a little platform, and take an acoustic setup and just go play. Yeah. And get just as much effect, if not more, than any other gig that you play. Because the yep. energy is right at that thing. You're, that. Going, you're going to something that has a natural energy of young people who want music and want entertainment. That makes sense? I know that. And the, it, make, it's make, it makes sense, but it's frustrating because on a certain level, I don't have all the control. You mean you got to feel me on that? Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, none of us do, though. Yeah. We, no, oh, we I, need help. I mean, we need love. With the band. I mean, within the confines of the band. I don't want to have to go to tell Jordy like Jordy like he he he's a he's like a he a, loves like a to rabid play dog bro like oh he wants to fucking play guitar like that's what makes him good at guitar. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like it's frustrating and it's a little bit like deflating to tell your guys. Like I know that I'm the face and we shouldn't do this anymore. Like we shouldn't do this all the time XYZ reasons. And then it's like, oh man, like does that mean we don't get to play anymore? You know what I mean? Because to them it's to play in front of people. You know of what I mean? No, no, yeah. of course. But 
you gotta understand, it's not to play in front of people; it's to get your music heard by people. Uh, no, yeah, I okay. have been trying to. I've, been, I've told you, I've, I've tried to give this philosophy, and they're just now coming around. So things are gonna change very, like well, very there you soon go. for us. But what I'm saying is, I've always listened to what you said about that, and it's never that I didn't want to listen. It's always right. that the boys want to play, and I'm I want the boys to want to play. Right. You know what I mean? It's it's th there's no. Exact blueprint to anything. There There's no Absolutely. rules to anything. You have to just break them and do them. You know who I, I was very impressed with in town was that Seiji kid. Yeah. About two, three years ago, he was like, fuck your rules. Fuck this. I'm showing up here. We're wilding the fuck out having a crazy show. That Ghetto Bird is going to be showing. We don't care. We're going to pick random spots and parties. I was like, who is this dude? That's what I said. Yeah. I'm like, I'm going to book him for Grizzly Fest. Not even my style of music. I'm booking him. Because he created something. Now, him, he you need managers, you need luck, you need good people. Like, th There's a series of so much crap that happens to make it as successful as an artist. And it's yeah. very, like, you, you can't explain it. There's, there, there's no way to tell somebody, this is what you have to do to yeah. be known. You, you can't say, oh, if you know these people and these people, these people, you'll be known. That doesn't, that's not true either. No. I could connect you with, you can go and meet every single executive in the music industry, be their best friends, and they can sign you. And if your music doesn't resonate with the listener, it doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you'll be one album. I agree. <laughs> yeah. It, it, you'll, and I'm talking about you know the people that can basically make a phone call and put you on, you know, any night show that well, you want to be on. I want that to begin with, though. Like, the, the getting there and working hard, like, doing it it's that the process. way. The process. That's what I fucking like, Yeah, though. but nobody wants the process. I'm just Fuck giving you the that. example. I love yeah. the process. I'm giving you the example of, I hear it all the time. Well, and, I, and I've heard it. Well, fucking hectic managed me, then I would have been on too. I'm like, nah, you don't even understand. Like, you don't understand what that person went through in his life and the period that fashion was in his life that I met him and what he was going through to get him to get to where he was going to. It was like that story alone was crazy to me, his story. And I was like, this kid is fucking talented, has no stability in life whatsoever. Is when the mic gets turned on or the light, it, he just goes on. And I'm like, who is this kid? That was what my mind was thinking when I first met the guy. I was like, he just, he doesn't necessarily write all day. He's not, he wasn't your quintessential like artist, you know, that you would think about. He had so much anger and passion and so much to say that when he did, it just, it, it was the universe yeah, took yeah. it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like a supernova. Right. And then, you know, no knock to fast, but once that comes out of you, it's hard to reconnect to people the same way. The artists only have so much long of a lifespan. Yeah. Right? Because that story that makes you really like them, you can only say it so many times. Yeah, I can dissipate. Like, you know over what I mean? Time. Right. So, like, but his was so powerful, like his, where he came from. And I'm like, yeah, I busted my ass and I did a lot of things to make sure he was in the right position at all times and connected with the right people. And yeah, sure. I may have A&R and picked almost every record on Boy Meets Road. And I did all the records, all the mixtapes before. And I picked every single nuance and I helped write records and I wrote hooks and I did everything. Like I'm, I'm yeah, I may have done all that for him. He still did it. He's the reason why it still happened, but you do need a lot of people and a lot of luck and a lot of stuff to go along with it. Yeah. And it's not like, I was, mo it's like he challenged me. I got motivated musically too mm, with Fash. Mm, mm. When I met him, I was making beats for him. I was a producer. 
I wasn't his manager. I was managing Diego Red, but I wasn't managing him, right? And then he needed a manager. I was like, this, and we're making great records. Like, this kid needs representation. Yeah, he needs stabilization. Oh. Hey, you're going to be here on this day, this time. I'll drop you off here. He, I mean, I used to drop him off on in, like, first and shields with 20, 30 goons just sitting there like, all right, heck, I'll see you two days. And I'd go two days later, he's not there. Then I'd have to go back and track him down, and I'd find him. We'd go to the studio. Let's bang out as many records right now as possible, right? And then his mom would get evicted out of a place or whatever, then he'd be on the opposite side of town on shields, and I would take him there. You know what I mean? And then he would be like, this meth head just broke into this, you know, that my mom became friends with, stole every single freak pair of clothes you got me from Diamond, LRG, all this stuff. And I'm talking about I'd get boxes for him. Everything got ransacked and stolen because they'd sell it for money. Yeah. All good. Damn. We'll do it again. We'll make it happen again. Don't trip. Like, this was prior to him even putting out Boy Meets World. So I was going to uh, say, was this before or after? This is 07. This is 07, 08. Like, it came out in 09, right? We finished Boy Meets World late 08, early 09. And then he was on Freshman 2010, 2011. Right. So, yeah, that was it. Um, he got on that from the album, which they don't, they weren't picking anybody that had an album out to be on the Freshman 10. Um, it was crazy. See, like, I had a publicist at that time for him. Um, Catherine Frazier. She owned a company called Biz3. She's a big, she had J. Cole at the same time. Big publicist, but she did rock, hip-hop, um, and I got introduced to her through the indie label we were on. He connected it, and I remember when I got the call from XXL, um, Rob Markman, who, um, he calls me and he goes, hey, um, are you Fashion's manager? Yeah, what's up? Who's this? Such and such from XXL. Um, I want to, you know, I'm a huge fan of Boy Meets World. I think it's one of the most amazing albums I've ever heard. I want to be on the freshman cover of next year. Would you guys be interested? Let me call him. Let me know. I was like, I was like, yeah, he's got to take this shit, right? Yeah. Cool. But I knew there was a double-edged sword to it. But I was like, yeah, cool. This is amazing. I was excited as fuck. But and I asked him, I go, how did, why did you call me direct? And he's like, oh, I couldn't find out. I couldn't get your contact. I know who, who, how to reach out to him. I kept asking everybody. I hit this guy, John Kim, who represented Blue. He's like, you got to call Heck. And I was like, you didn't, Catherine Frazier didn't tell you that, didn't submit us at least or an album to you or whatever. He's like, no. So I called the publicist right after oh, that. I'm shit. like, what the fuck are you guys doing? <laughs> oh, fuck. You you submitted J. Cole. J. Cole got on the cover, right? And this is before he had an album and everything. And he got on the cover. And I remember J. Cole calling Fash to go to New York and do records with him back then, like as a fan of Fashion, right? And I'm thinking to myself, a publicist that we're paying, big name, couldn't get the fucking job done. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah. you have to sometimes just do it and then luck and God and everything works in mysterious ways yep. and it happens. Just because you hire a publicist that's supposed to do your PR, that doesn't mean you're going to get stuff, man. It's just it, it's, it's just weird how this how this game works. Because so, you're, because you're, just because your publicist, like, just because you have a publicist doesn't mean they're doing shit. Captain Fraser is great. I mean, don't get me wrong. She probably had her, her staff on it and they dropped the ball, whatever it may have been, but I'm just saying, like, it's it takes like a lot of it takes a lot of luck, a lot of yeah. timing, a lot of being in the right place, knowing the right people as you're coming up. Your the process that we're talking about. Yeah, I like that shit though. Well, that's yeah. everything. Like I went from making beats in my room to singing into a, a thing with pantyhose on it 
and then deleting it all because I had a fucking mental breakdown to recording in a real studio. You know what I mean? And then, because like, remember I told you that I didn't, uh, the U87, and I didn't right. even want to touch it, and I asked if we could get a different microphone. Like, I was joking because I obviously wanted to record it, but I was so afraid of breaking this thing that was more valuable than our entire album's budget. Right. That I was like, oh shit, can we use something different? Like, <laughs> just jo- obviously I was going to use it. Right. But it's like, I like that process. But you I- can't, but you got you can't, as an artist, you can't think of that stuff. Your job is to get the music out, to get your emotions, your thought, your creativity out. It, your job is not to worry about it. And that's the thing. Like, but you have to. How can I not? No one's going to do it for me. Well, Fashion had it so lucky that I did all that for him. He didn't have to worry. He didn't know a thing of the business game of hip hop. He was just Rock Kim's my favorite rapper. Nas is my favorite rapper. I'm just a fucking music nerd. And I got a crazy story that I can tell, right? And I'm like, don't worry about it. I had experience. I had, you know, other artists that I had to work with. I, you know, managers that I was managed by. Like, you learn. I mean, I worked for Kanye for a couple years, right? When I worked for Kanye's Good Music, I was basically the studio bitch for GLC, which is my homie, and and consequence of these guys right in LA. I'm like, well, fuck it. I mean, I get I get a paycheck from Good Music. I'm technically working for Kanye's label, right? But like, I did every fucking job you could think of there. Stayed in the studio. I never left. I never went home. I lived there. I didn't get paid for six months. I flew to New York to get my check because his mom wouldn't cut the check. She wouldn't approve the hours, and I kept submitting in. I'm like, this is, I'm like, and I didn't, I would submit regular eight-hour days, but I would be there 18th. I'm like, here's just eight hours, whatever. I was like, I'm just happy to be here type thing. So, GLC had a manager who's, who, who's cool dude, but he sucks as a manager. He's only there because he's from Chicago and boys with Kanye. And hit Kanye's manager's boys with him. But he fucking sucks as a manager. And I saw how fucking shitty a manager could be. And I could see how good a fucking manager could be from a documentary or you just you do your homework. You're like, that's not what a manager is, right? Yeah. So you learn those things and when you and you just apply it. It's like anything else. I learn how to DJ. I learn how to make a beat. on. You just learn it and you apply it. You don't think too much about it. You just know what's dope. Babu's dope. Oh, yeah. I'm aiming to be Babu. Yeah. Right? To me, Dame Dash was dope for Jay. I'm going to aim to be Dame Dash. Right? Like, I'm not aiming to be the bum. I'm aiming to be the best, and I'm going to learn from it. And I was lucky to have experience of seeing people not be good at what they did and make sure I didn't do that for the people I represented. PR, yeah, I did it myself. Sense. I didn't have a, we didn't have a PR fucking budget before I met Catherine Fager. We got a deal, right? And the label paid for it. It was like, you had to do, I had to build his PR. I had to be the producer. I had to be the engineer. I had to be the mix, the mastering engineer. I had to do all these things because that's what I had to do. I never said I don't have a studio. Fuck it. We, we, this is what, this is our studio. This is our studio. Yeah. You know what I mean? So don't look at it as you don't have it. You have everything. I don't, I I, I don't like, but what I'm saying is you have everything as an artist. Just put out that energy. Something will come to you and the pieces will come together. You don't think Fast Sean was like, fuck, man, I love rapping, but he didn't know who I was. I didn't know that the barber that connected me with Diego Red was going to connect me to him and drive him up, drop him off at my house one day. Like, it, shit works in weird ways. Yeah. You know what I mean? Very true. So you just got to just do you and be the best you can. And that's my advice to just anybody, anybody. that's out there that's trying to be an artist or yeah. whatever. You just got to be dope at what you do. 
you know, when I wanted to throw a festival at Fresno State, when I was walking through the campus with my boy Kevin Hayashi, I was like, this would be a dope spot for a festival. And then we're like, we, I had a vision of Woodward Park back in 2001. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, oh, I just thought about it. Like, yeah, well, we, I, and we need to talk I, about Grizzly. I bumped my, I bumped my head and I <laughs> want to throw a festival. When I was co-managing MERS and MERS was putting on paid dues and 30,000 people and Kendrick Lamar and Macklemore are headlining it. And I'm there and I'm seeing how the operations of that works or I'm going to sound set with, with atmosphere and I'm seeing how their team is putting their thing together. And I'm like, we can do this. And MERS is like, you could throw a festival, dude. Like, just throw your own festival in Fresno. Yep. When Grilla Union told me, nah, we're not, we don't want to get behind you. I took it to them. Like, hey, I want to do this festival in Fresno. Will you guys support it? They were the big hip hop promoters or whatever. Chang was like, nah, we did something in Fresno in like 98, like a rave. Like, I oh, were cool. I'm like, fuck it. I got turned down by a lot of people. And then Merz was just, like, just start small, dude. Fucking yeah. do it like you do regular concert. Just put a bunch of people on it, make it creative. And that's what we did. You know, I called Nebuchadnezzar. I'm like, yo. So what What oh, was the, Ev, man. you started the Grizzly Fest, like, at, at Chichancy, 2012? No, no, no. 2012 or? was done at the fairgrounds because. Oh, okay, okay. At that time, I was co-managing Merz. Fashion and Merz had done an album. And Fashion every year did a show locally, right? I would do one show a year for him. Basically, so I didn't oversaturate him. And there I'm you like, go. you got to do something, put out an album, do whatever, and we'll do a show. So, Mers at that time, we were we were doing the we were doing Rock the Bell circuit, and he paid dues around that same time, and we we had played that, and I'd, I had a con- bunch of conversations with them when we were in New York, and um, I always told them I wanted to do a festival, I wanted to do something creative that was just like different than a concert. So, he's the one that started pay dues. Mm-hmm. with the living legends originally and his concept was very similar to what i was trying to do with fash and he was like you should throw a festival we'll come headline it the first year with our album like whatever if you need help booking some artists i can help you whatever and we really did it but we started small at the fairgrounds and i remember i was living in la and um neb at the t- at that time had grizzly city kush for fash right he was the one that um i remember sitting with them and he had a, a medicinal shop and I was like, is there a crazy strain out there that some fucking hippie has that's so powerful? This is before cookies. So fucking, <laughs> I had this shit before burner. I was like, that's so crazy, and we can call it Grizzly City Kush. He's like, I got this thing right now, and I don't, I don't smoke really, so um, I, haven't, I don't smoke, so I don't know the potencies of the stuff, right? And you're like, whatever it, it is, and you're, you... And yeah. Fashion smoked. It was just that's he hung out with alchemists and evidence way too much, and it was just like we over it, it, <laughs> it overtook his whole life. So, in my whole thought process is like instead of him buying all this weed or getting like having the people give it to him, like he could have his own strain, he could try to make some money, or and so he's like, I got this, but the guy only brings so much every two months, but it's fire. Bash, smoke this. What do you think? This shit's amazing. Take it to Alchemist and Evidence. Let them smoke it. Let me know what they think. Shit's fire. Great. Where's the city Kush? Let's brand it. So okay. we did that in like 2010. Yeah, because we toured with Wiz Khalifa in 2010. And I remember Burner getting pulled and he brought a strain. So it was like we had the concept. It was I don't want to say it was before him because I, I wasn't in his thought process. He could have done it 10 years prior, but... He just got announced into the world through Wiz because of, of his strain of weed, right? Nice. And um, it came out all around, something like the same time. Everything was coming out. 
So when I told Neb, I'm like, hey, I want to do this festival concept, Grizzly, uh, Grizzly Fest, whatever. I'm not there. Do you want to help me? You want to kind of get this? He's like, I'm down. I got some money. Let's just whatever. So we did it at the fairgrounds because we didn't have a venue. I didn't. I wanted to do it outside behind Tower Theater. Um, okay. And they didn't like the idea too much. I tried to do it at the, um, you know, there's a little park. Now that they, they put a um, parking, there's a church right in Tower. Um, there's a park right across the street. Um, where is it exactly? Y- okay, so you know where it was Fred's, and now I think it's Full Circle? Yeah. You know, there's that little side street right there? Yeah. That cuts okay. across. There's a church right back there yeah. in between Wishon and Van Ness. Yes. There's a little oh, park. Yeah. There's a little park right there. Well, before all the um, parking, they actually did some cement parking stalls. It used to be all grass. Got it. I went and met with the, the, the what do you call him, the priest at the church. Um, and he was like, ah, no, nah, nah, I don't want, you can't have this because they own that property. So he said no, they said no. And then everything was kind of like I was getting a bunch of no's. Can't do it like at a, at a, at a Strummer's or a Starline or a Tower Theater or at a... Um, Star Palace, I did some shows there. You need like, bigger capacity, I just right? needed something, yeah. so we did at the fairgrounds. Fairgrounds sucks. No knock to the fairgrounds people, but um, for a venue like this, it just was whack. People didn't really want to come out. Yeah. I got, I remember PD threw like 16 cops on me. Oh, Jesus. 16. My three years at Chichancy, I only had six cops, all three combined contracted they had 16 on that day i'm like okay so we're getting screwed on the pd because it's on the east side and people don't really want to come out there it's not really known as a venue they didn't let me have food trucks they said i had to use pardini's my beer sponsor who you had to use pardini's yes because they were the food concessionaire oh yeah so contractually I, i had budweiser sponsoring i didn't know that it was a coors light venue so when i show up there's bud light Bud Light, when we're setting up, the Bud Light team is setting things up. And next thing I look at the bar, and there's just a bunch of cores and just one Bud Light tap. I'm like, hold on. They're my sponsor. They're not giving me a dollar. Who the fuck are they? Damn. Well, the venue, that's their venue. They they control the rights. So I learned back then all these all things. The, yeah. Right? The beer business. And so. How it works. We yeah. did the event. It was cool. Right, um, we may have broke even like a little bit. I didn't take. I said, "Evan, you keep. If there's anything, you just keep it. I don't care." Um, and then when I was living, I was still living in LA at the time, and my brother got married in thirteen or fourteen, and it was thirteen was a busy year. I was just like, I don't want to do that. just a hip hop show. This shit's whack. I remember Catacomb was being done. Fash played Catacomb, and I was like, "This is cool." This I think is- that's where I met you. Possibly. It was like, it was after Catacombs. Like, it could have been like, Catacomb was cool, but it was whack. I'm, I'm going to keep it real. Like, no, 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 I remember you. It was, it was cool in the energy and what it was and the people wanted something, but it was. Business-wise the way it was done? Yeah, it, it, it wasn't whack in this. It just wasn't like. They could have done a lot more. It's cookie, it was cookie cutter, like in the sense of yeah, like, yeah. like a block party was. Like, right? what, what can I do to bare bones to make this a festival, is well, that what you're saying? Well, the, the organizers are smart guys. They knew it was a financial thing. Mm. This was a Got money it. financial yeah. thing. And I looked at this was like I was like, they're lo- they're missing out on so much opportunity and revenue to invest back into this to make it that much better. 
right? They had a lot of community support. A lot of artists were donating their time. Like a lot of people were doing things that were really awesome, right? But they didn't understand the business model mm. of putting on an event because how, how expensive it is to put these things on. So I looked at it, I'm like, okay, people are like, you got to do Grizzly Fest, you got to do another show. All right, I was going to do it at what is now Fresh Yes. I was going to do it on that on the street corner there. Is that where we did um, the Fulton where, Street Party? Yeah. But it was going to be a little different. Okay. And at that time, Mike Oz and them had Taco Chuck Throwdown, and I think they were doing a Fresh Yes, but a Fresh Yes wasn't, it wasn't that, that it big. It wasn't that big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. yeah, yeah. So... I wanted to do it on the streets because I think at the time Fresh was still just in Tioga because I don't remember it going into the streets. It went and to the street. It, yeah, go ahead. It, it, I wanted like to block off the streets and, and make it a street of a festival. I went to the city of Fresno, had meetings with them. They basically told me no because there was a run that had to go through Enyo. And I asked if they can go up a block. I remember PD was there. It was like 12 people. And I was just breaking down every aspect of the event. Mind you, I, I had done probably 75 shows prior to this in my day. It wasn't like this is my first event I had done. Yeah, yeah. So I knew a lot of the intricacies, and I was breaking it down, and they're like, no, they can't move the run. I'm like, okay. So in the time of the year that we were trying to do, and there's, there's not a lot you can do, right? So Sam, my boy from the Grizzlies, I used to work for FTK, and from I've known him since 2001. He's the one that put out a fat Sean F hat. Before he even worked for the Grizzlies, that sold out in a day, like in two hours, more Damn. than the Grizzlies sold theirs. It was basically we took RF and put the slash and made it yeah. purple and gray, like the OGs, sold it out within like two hours, like 144 of them. He was doing su such like ill urban pop culture collaborations, like he still is now. He did the Diego Red in the No shirt. I did the song for Diego Red in the No. He took it, made it a big, like all over print, sold tons of them. The Nickel Nickel Nine shirt. So, like, Sam, he knows the pulse of Fresno. And just, and just not just Fresno, just, like, people. Yeah. And um, their behavior. Like, he understands, like, what's going to kind of click and what's not. He's got this very unique mind that a lot of people don't understand. And they try to hate on his thought process. But in reality, if they just listen to him and see what he's doing, they can make some really good money. But they don't. So... Sam was like, at that time, had just kind of became, he might have been the marketing director or was just like one level below because he was doing all their art merchandising. And he was working for the team by, by for, this point. Yeah, he was working for the team in 2000. When the recession hit, he closed FTK down because nobody was buying stuff. Like nobody was buying Nikes and, yeah. and clothes like they were. They were going to the thrift shops. So he closed it down and he got hired by them because of they saw what he was doing with his art culture and the pop culture of Urban and 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 streetwear and and so forth so he got a job with them by this time he had moved up and he said let me ask the president derek if we could do grizzly fest here it may be a good partnership we want more of an urban kind of hip crowd coming to baseball games you know and i you know obviously he, with fashion he was another big part of fashion's career starting off talking about like his whole fashion game he was like fashion i'm gonna put you on fashion like i'm gonna make you look cool yeah, and I'm gonna show nice. you. Yeah, I'm not gonna nice. make you look cool. I'm gonna show you what cool is, and expose you to it in a different way that you may not have been exposed, and be like, "This is some tight shit." Yeah, he just educated the kid. Yeah, absolutely. Right, so he didn't like forcefully do anything. He wasn't but, a stylist, but he didn't have to do that. Yeah, at the same time, um, so he knew what we had going on and and the movement that that we had created, 
and um, we did it there at the at the baseball park, and we made it free, and you know we did the whole thing. But who was the who were the ones? Damn, the first one was free, and twenty second technically was free. That's tight. Mm-hmm. It was it was the model. You give them yeah. a dose. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, but is who was the ones on that one? It was Fash, obviously. Fash on headline it. That was the college album dropped. Before that was a band called Delta Spirit. So did they all donate their time? No, we paid for all that. Oh, okay. They paid the artists. Yeah, yeah. But you, you we paid for everything. Okay. I got sponsors locally, yeah, partners yeah, yeah. locally, and we made concessions revenue. And then Oh yeah, yeah. There was different ways we, we made the revenue back. There you go. Um but yeah, with Delta Spirit, I am Sue at that point was popular from the Bay. Oh um, yeah. Cool John came with him. Ty Seagal, um, who was like an indie artist at Aaron Gomes. And at that point, I had partnered with Aaron Gomes because I had done shows with him at Visalia. Yeah. With, For those with, of you that uh, don't know, Aaron Gomes is the is the man behind the sound and vision. They booked us a lot for shows in Visalia and things yeah, like that. Really good people. He's basically like Visalia's music scene, like yeah, live music alone. scene. He, he did it. Nice. He has a team with them, right? There's great people. But he was the main guy. Like he's like he booked Fanagram, Vampire Weekend, all these amazing rock groups and little ass cellar door as they were coming up. And like, you know, he, he just is a great, great human being. First and foremost, great music mind second. And just, he just loves music. So I had done shows with him at cellar door. He had asked me to do some hip hop shows over the years. So I brought him on, on the, on the grizzly fest. He came on board. Um, it was successful. You know, I think six and a half, 7,000 people came through the gates that day. Um, and then the next year, it was like, okay, we did this. $35. Multi, 35 bucks. But we, I wanted a book artist that um, that we didn't really get a lot. Like Slightly Stupid, for example, and hadn't played Fresno since I was in Fresno State in 2001 at a free college show at the pit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. That's what. That's the last it's time called, they came. It's called to the bucket now, I think. The right? bucket is it? That's what yeah, they yeah. call the ground. The little. Oh, oh no, 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 yeah, no, yeah. no. The, the little, bar. The bar is called. Okay, the, the bars. Okay, so I was like slightly stupid. I remember calling them manager directly, bugging them, and then we got them. I was like, oh shit, we got slightly stupid, and it was a, it was a respectful price. Cost a lot of money, but I'm like, okay, this is not free this year. And then Atmosphere, who I've been trying to book for 11 years, had never been to Fresno. I mean, I have records with Atmosphere that are out. You know, like Damn. I produce songs with atmosphere. Like I've I've known the, the rhymes, and his agent, he he had left that agent at the time, but the prior agent that he had, um, never responded in one of my emails ever. Like oh, I so met him at Coachella, bad. I would talk to him. I was, and I'm talking about when I was with you know helping with the Living Legend guys and 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 with the artist, me introducing and meeting him through artists, never responded. So once I found out he wasn't working with this guy anymore. I was like, fuck, here's my chance. I just called the manager. I was like, Bird, I, I need to get, this is in 15 I wanted to get him, and he didn't get me in 15. 16 I called, I was like, Bird, come on. We need to make this happen. Like, I really need atmosphere. I need to bring him to Fresno. Like, I have to do this, or else he's going to be 98 years old, and then come. Yeah. And he's the coolest dude ever, by the way. Super, super chill, cool dude. So then we got him, and then the third act that year was, Gomes was like Cold War kids. He had booked them so many times, went on their way up, was like, I think we can get them. And they got the number one song with that first song. Mm-hmm. And that's what it was. And we nice. put Fash onto it. And it was like, okay, and that was that year's Grizzly Fest. Mm-hmm. That's why we put the $35 price tag. It was successful. We learned. You know, every year we learn, like, that stage sucks. We're doing a better stage next year on the second stage. That, you know, we like, every year you're kind of trying to piggyback and make it better. 
Well, I just think that the two the year the 2018 Grizzly Fest was the best one last year. No, no, no. What the 19 I, or 18? The 2018. 18. Oh, the one that you played it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for him to figure it out. You're just making me sound like a dick. No, I mean it, it was, but every year was different. Yeah. Like even this year yeah. it was different. But that's how it started, man. It wasn't really like. Um, I mean, I had conversations with people who wanted to throw festivals, and they're like, "We want to, we want to be the next Coachella." I'm like, "I don't want to be the Coachella. Fuck that. That's a headache." And yeah, I, if you want that responsibility, take feel it. Feel free, bro. That, that's all yeah. you. Yeah, I want to do something that I want to do that I that I like doing. It's, that should be that's, fun because yeah. Coachella's not fun anymore, man. That's such a money hungry machine at this point. Yeah, but it's fun. I mean, if you're if you're doing the talent buying, it's fun. It's it's a it's still a it's for it's you art curation still. Mm-hmm. Putting a lineup together is art. What's that thing I always do to you? I'm sure it's annoying is I ask. What? Maybe you don't say it on the podcast, but I always ask. And you always tell me like. Oh, the like, play? I mean, how much are they, Aaron? And you'd be like. Oh, the talent? Dude, this is how it is every time. I'm like, how much are they, Aaron? He goes. You want to know? <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't think people really know how much these talent I don't think they do either. But obviously, I wouldn't know had you not told me. Because I asked you. I forgot who I asked you to book. Well, well they have different they have different prices, right? Because it's this festival yeah. and then there's just club. Right. Um, appearances yeah, right. Right. Yeah. I begged you and I was like well dude the black keys the black keys the black keys and you're like you know how much the fucking black keys want they weren't playing together at the time when you asked now they oh. are yeah they're back together now. but at a it's festival they're charging a million dollars plus yeah, I know. shit yeah. I remember I, and you're thinking what a million dollars black but, keys yeah but they're on the road they have all their shit they bring it, it's, like, it's not even that though it's no, the it's, way these you know these agents think is it's a music festival with the black keys people in this Huge range are going to drive to see them play. That, but that's right? true. That too. Problem is, we're in California, right? Yeah. So I get those prices, but there's a thing called Coachella that way. Yeah, and yeah. Another thing called Bottle Outside Rock, Lands. Outside Lands. Kabu. Right? Kabu now. I mean, a Golden Voice basically is just throwing Dominates, a festival. Dominates, yeah. They're just, they're just throwing... They make so much money off Coachella, they could just throw festivals just to throw it. I'm surprised they didn't get one here before... You you made yours as you made Grizzly Fest as big as you people have. don't honestly Fresno's not a great market for festival, it's just not. If you're trying to, if charging, you're trying to go that, I big. should be charging a hundred to hundred twenty five dollars a day ticket. Yeah, GA, then service fees on top of it. Yeah, I'm at seventy five and people are crying. I mean. That it, that culture is eventually going to change, especially if if you pull out the the Don the yeah, Don but, move and say <laughs> not no, not this no twenty twenty yeah, no twenty twenty like here's this is how you want to be no twenty twenty. But here's the thing though, Golden Voice or Live Nation is not going to take that risk to educate a uh, uh, an area and a market. Yeah, exactly. a market. They're like, why are we going to lose money to educate these people? Yeah, yeah. Why? Do, why they're just going to? They're all going to go to Coachella anyways. Right or something or else. Just go to the right market. That shit so pisses me off though about Grizzly Fest because I know a lot of people that go spend two grand, three grand at Coachella. Right. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. And it's like so you can spend three grand at Coachella, but you don't want to spend hundred seventy five dollars, two hundred dollars. Right. You're fucking whack. And then and those then same motherfuckers spend one hundred and twenty five dollars on a fucking Saturday. Yeah. Just right. some random fucking bar. So I mean, that's trust me, I know. I've, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. I, I mean, I get it. Firsthand all the time, people are like, "Oh, um, we we wanted to go, we didn't know what it was." All right, man. I hate to cut this short, Aaron, but Let's we got we got to have Let's a we got to have a part two for sure. Yeah, we'll have you back. We'll bring Ev next time. I just Ev's been my guy for a long time. Yeah, Ev called me. I got shout out to Evan. He said he said don't stop doing this podcast. He said he told stop. me to be an asshole. 
Yeah. But I'm not. I mean, <laughs> there's so much you, shit, man. He told you to be an asshole? Not to you guys, but in just oh. general, because it's like I try to be respectful and mindful of people. Like, and, and like, I love Fresno, but I'm so like, I I just, I feel like I, I'm better it. just keeping my, I yeah, used yeah. to, when I was younger, I used to talk more. I'm just like, I'd rather be quiet and just let it like, just stay out of it. Like because, it's better what, not well, engage I mean, yourself in the conversation. Well, what's the point to do it? Is basically probably it's like, yeah, like I, I why mean, why no, say something? Because I'm the type of person. If you tell me, like, if if Bobby tells me, dude, you were a dick and you made me look bad, or like you're doing the wrong thing, I'm not gonna be like, fuck you, Bobby. Don't talk to me like that. I'm gonna be like, damn, did I say that? Did I do something? Right. And then I'm gonna immediately be like, okay, I okay, I see where you're saying. He's just talking about Fresno in general. No, so he doesn't want to say the reason that why I'm saying it out. is because I've shown it. Mm-hmm. I don't need to say it. Mm. Yeah. Okay, I've proved in in every single thing I've done in Absolutely. this town. Like, if if I want to get in your business, I'll get in. I'll do better than you. Yeah. I know I will. That's just my mind, my, my my mind state, and I've done it every time. Yeah. You've so done when so I, much. When already. I see people promoting, or I see this, and people are bitching, this artist canceled, and this, I'm like, cool. Shit well, you don't happens. Think that's fucked up. Fresno's back. I'm like, it's what it is. Yeah, shit happens. Especially if I would have done it, that wouldn't have happened. <laughs> I mean, an artist will cancel <laughs> if an artist will cancel like Action Bronson because they're sick, but not because they didn't get their money. Uh, Got it. See, you're saying a lot without saying a lot right now. <laughs> I'm just, I'm no, just no, saying. No. I'm not saying that to knock that person. All I'm saying is there's, there's just a way you go about things in life to make sure you're doing things the right way, and I just have always took into that man. Like I really don't, I don't really have to go through the, the. Fresno needs to be this. Fresno doesn't need to be anything. But I like that Fresno's like that. I like that. I like that. I can go. Dude, I love the fact that people walk up to me and they appreciate me, but they act like I'm their friend. Right? right. I like that people are like, oh, like, I haven't told you this, but I get Brady a lot now. <laughs> like, I'll walk down the street. I'll be at Vinny's and I'll just get. Now I res- verbally respond to people to Brady? saying. Brady? What's up, like, Brady? Brady! And now I'll just turn around and I'll see a guy and he'll just point at me. And he'll like slap his chest and point That's at me. Dope. So what I'm saying is I love that Fresno feels that they can do that. Oh, because in LA, people walk up to him and be like, oh, like, yeah, my girlfriend's heard of your band, bro. Like, I've never really listened to you guys, but like, can right. I get a pick? That's, that's it's LA. Like, so, so, we so have a community em. here that's so different than other cities. And, and that's what you're talking about. Yeah, that is. I love that about Fresno. People will come up and they're so respectful. And they're like, hey, bro, thanks for everything you've done. And I feel like I haven't done anything. Right. That's just how I am. But like I know where they're coming from, you know. Like, well, they respect you and they and they value you for different reasons. Kind of like, like someone who's a rapper or a singer, they'd be like, "Oh, that person's an artist." But everybody knows that Jimmy Iovine. Like, someone's gonna come up to Dr. Dre and be like, "Yo, Dre, what's good?" And they're gonna see Jimmy and they'll be like, "How you doing? How you doing, Jimmy? It's nice to meet you." See, what I'm saying like, right? I'm nowhere near Jimmy Iovine. I'm, I'm but just, what I'm saying is, I, I appreciate know. that. I appreciate that that comparison and. I'm just saying, like, I think people in Fresno just, I don't like getting involved in it because what, it, you know, Jerry Seinfeld said, when people say it is what it is, what does it mean? But it is what it is. Like, this is who we are. We have to educate people slowly. We got to kind of change the culture. I'm not going to waste my energy forcing things down people's throats. But I've never seen this many fun things happen since I've lived here. In, like, the seven years that I've lived here, like, I went to your, I would go, like, I met you before I ever went to Grizzly Fest. Right. So I was like, oh, like, oh, oh, this is Aaron's party. And I saw it and I was like, wow, good. Like, this is a really good thing. Right. You know what I mean? So 
that's what I remember. Go, Grizzly Fest. All the homies would go to Grizzly Fest. But now there's something like every month, every 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 week that someone's like trying to put on in a good way, not trying to put on in some in some rinky dink well, half ass shit. The positive thing about that is maybe the blueprint, maybe my blueprint, and it's the ripple effect. You know, like just so you know, me, Mike Oz, Sam Hansen, we used to sit at Denny's and we used to call them hip hop meetings and couple other of our buddies and we used to plan events back then and we used to coordinate like Mike Oz is doing his own events that's crushing it right downtown Sam is doing his own stuff with his own events like I'm doing my own thing like we're not we don't really work together as much as um, we're all buddies like we grew up and it's kind of just like the blueprint like a lot of us put in a lot of that work and that blueprint where it's easier now for people to do it but aren't you aren't you proud of that? Like, don't yeah, that make, I think oh, it's okay. great. When I see shows, people are like that's another that's such a whack show. I'm like, that's dope. Like, why are you being? Why a am I being mad that DJ Quick is coming to the Wake House and he was just at Chachancy Park? Let the people out there in Dinuba and really let them go partying and, and enjoy that show too. It wasn't happening 15 years ago or 12 years ago or 10 years ago. Yeah, right. Like. Let people throw their shows. Like, there's a show going on at Full Circle I just saw with a bunch of 90s acts. I'm like, that's dope. It's cool. The, the promoter will always try and, like, you know, clown people. Like, he is what he is. And, and I, no knock to him. But instead of me being like, man, that show's whack. That promoter's, like, whatever. It's like, dope. Kudos to the promoter for taking a chance, taking a risk, bringing a cool another show out, out to Fresno that people could enjoy. Yeah. You know, like, it wasn't happening before. So now that we have it, we can't complain. Because back then we said we don't have anything. And now we're saying we have things, but they're all whack. Yeah. It's like the catch-22. It's like, what, 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 do you want nothing or do you want something? Yeah, do you just want one good thing? Yeah, or do you and, want one good thing and, and a lot of... And you got to follow these 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 promoters and they, they got to build. You know, they got to they gotta incrementally grow and then so that they can put on a Grizzly Fest or do something, right? Yeah. But 2020, we'll talk about another time. 2020, we'll talk about another time? Is that an energy drink? No, it's a white club. Well, so what's that? Liquor? What? It's like the next best thing. Is that sponsoring this podcast? No, 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 See, no. That's the thing you got to get on, man. We got a sponsor podcast. I, we got a white claw. This is amazing. It's seltzer, alcoholic it's seltzer, seltzer water, water, baby. We'll show you a video after the podcast. We'll show you a video off air. Oh, this is liquor. Yeah. yeah it's yeah, it's like beer. It's like 5%. It's like He's a beer. getting ready to turn up on a Thursday. Yeah, what's his job? I mean, that's what he's supposed to do. Bobby, where are you going to be at tonight? Oh, he's going to be at Lux. You're at Lux? He'll be at Lux. He'll be at Lux. College night, Lux. Yes. Yeah. He'll be at Lux on Friday night t- as well. And shenanigans at Saturday. Shout out to Lewis Lux. Shout out to Lewis. You know, he was a, a R&B singer and rapper. I got a song yeah. I produced with him, too. Oh, I've loved... Lewis? Yeah, Lewis is on a plane right now. Yeah. Dude, somewhere. I... Talk about, <laughs> talk about a promoter that gets, that gets a bad rep. He has never been anything but nice as fuck and respectful to me. Lewis The only is reason the, there's a bad rep is because... Jealous. They're like, oh, he's an asshole. He has every right to be. It's his money. He's gonna. He's yeah, gonna do exactly. What he wants. Lewis is the epitome of a club promoter. I learned a lot from Lewis. If there's a thing called like a promoter and then a club promoter, like that nightlife promoter, he's he it. knows that thing inside and out and how to how to do it, how to make money off it. Dude, dude's a hustler. Um, oh yeah. He, him, Rick Morgan. I mean, I, see the thing is, is I'm boys with Rick Morgan, and Rick is a savage promoter, like nationally known now. Like, he's one of the top, Damn. like, managers in boxing in the world. And, like, he hired me to do his street teaming for Beyonce back in 2006. I was in the colleges passing out flyers. Like, I've done every job, but Rick, Lewis, there's some savages here from in the promotion game that know what they're doing. Oh, yeah, when's Jose fighting? When's uh, July 27th in Texas oh, in against Texas? Maurice Hooker. 
He's going to bring back the belt. That's my guy. Absolutely. Champ, champ. I'll be there. Flights have been booked. Flights have been booked already? The flights have been booked. I'm going. Jose's the man. So there's a lot of great stuff, man. Yeah. All right. Hell yeah. Thanks for having me. Aaron Heckamine, everybody. Yep. We got to have him again for sure. Catch you guys later, man. Peace. Peace.